For those of you who don't know me, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning we are continuing our study through the book of 1 Peter. So we've been going through 1 Peter for most of the summer. And we have two weeks left. And so if you would, turn with me in your Bible or on your app to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to start out by reading verses 1 through 4. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So one of the things that you'll notice about this passage is the prevalence of leadership in the early church. The word elder is repeated multiple times, and we see that elders are the visible leaders in the local church. A few weeks back, I went to my grandpa's 90th birthday party, and it was awesome. It was fun to hear him talk about how he never thought he would be 90 years old and how it was such a gift to be 90. But do you know how you know you're at a 90th birthday party? There's lots of old people there right? The elderly. And similarly, you know you're at a church when the elders are there. You know you're at a biblical church when it is being led by a group of godly men. And so the big idea that's going to tie together what we're talking about this morning is that Jesus shepherds his church alongside Christ-like elders. And so in this passage, we're going to see three convictions of a church that is submitted to Jesus. And those are that Jesus is the chief shepherd, that the elders are to shepherd the church, and that the church is to humbly follow the elders. So let's just take those one at a time. The first one is that Jesus is the chief shepherd. So again, this passage says in verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And then later, Peter refers to this same Jesus as the chief shepherd of the church. So before directly addressing the elders or the leaders in this local congregation, Peter first explains the foundation of the church, which is Jesus himself. So Peter was a close friend of Jesus. He walked side by side with him for three years in ministry. And the way that he describes what he witnessed being in the presence of Jesus were his sufferings and his glory. There's these two beautiful realities about the leadership of Jesus. 
And that is that he is willing to suffer for his people. And he is glorious. In other words, there's never any doubt that he's in charge. And this same idea is unpacked in the way that Jesus is described in terms of his name in this passage. He's chief. In other words, he's in charge. And he's also shepherd, which means he's willing to do the dirty work. Now immediately, when we think about the suffering of Jesus and we think about what we've been looking at throughout the book of 1 Peter, the first thing that should come to our mind when we think about the suffering that Peter beheld is we should think of the cross. You remember the moment where Peter had denied Jesus and Jesus actually makes eye contact with Peter. Peter saw Jesus being flogged. He saw the crown of thorns. He saw him hanging on the cross. And what he's saying is, this is what the leader of the church is like. He's not a distant figure who just stands by and commands his people to do certain things. The leader of the church, the chief shepherd of the church, is the one who died as a substitute for sinners. So Jesus can never be doubted for his suffering, love, and care for his people. And maybe the most simple way that I can say that describes who Jesus is for the church is that he is always with us. He's not distant from our pain. He's not distant from our suffering. But he is with us every single step of the way. But let's be honest, okay? This is good news that Jesus is our suffering Savior. The leader of our church has suffered on our behalf. But that's only half of the good news. Because we also have to know that Jesus is in control. That he's an invincible leader. That he's a glorious leader. That he's an in-charge leader. The other event that Peter was a witness to, thankfully is the resurrection of Jesus. He not only saw Jesus die, he also saw Jesus raised from death. So he's saying he's not just your shepherd who's with you in your pain. He's also the glorious, invincible leader, the leader whom death could not hold. I saw the glory of of Jesus, he said. He not only says that he saw the glory of Jesus, he's saying that he actually in some way partook in the glory of Jesus. I think what he's saying is, I saw the resurrected Jesus, and that Jesus promised me that one day I would be raised from the dead. And so I know that we have this invincible leader who will take us from this dying, decaying world and into glory. So Jesus is not only with us in our suffering, he not only died for us on the cross, he also is our invincible leader who will take us home. So he is our chief shepherd. We have to remember before we start talking about 
the visible leadership in the local church, we have to remember that Jesus is the ultimate leader of this church and of every local church. This teaching is sort of summarized actually by Jesus in Matthew 28 on the beginning and the end of what we call the Great Commission. These are the two things Jesus wants to remind the church of before he leaves and ascends to the right hand of the Father. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he says the Great Commission, and in the end he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus wants us to remember that he's our invincible leader and that he is also with us, which is good news. Think about this. Think about the difference between a dad who simply commands his kids what to do. I've tried this before. Hey, kids, go pick that stuff up. Hey, kids, clean up the stuff in the backyard. Hey, fold your laundry. Hey, do this. Hey, do that. We begin to be exasperated by that type of dad because they're just commanding from a distance. They're just a leader, but it doesn't seem like they're with us. Now contrast that with the dad who says, let's do this together. Let's go pick up the backyard together. Let's go clean up the basement together. Let's go lay down some mulch together. Let's do this together. Jesus is the type of leader who doesn't just say, go do the Great Commission. He's the type of leader who says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Let's do this together. And guys, this model of leadership, we even see at the beginning of this passage, had a great effect on Peter. We know that Peter was an apostle of Jesus and that as an apostle, he had the right to direct the church, even command the church. And we see in this passage that Peter, instead of commanding the church, exhorts the church. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. And then he doesn't say, as an apostle of Jesus. In other words, placing himself above the church and saying, I'm superior to you guys. But in says, he says, as a fellow elder. See, what had happened to Peter is he had so experienced and seen the good news that Jesus is our chief shepherd, that it had transformed him into the type of leader that people want to follow. The type of leader who wasn't exercising his authority and sort of dominating people, but actually walking beside people in service. And I think that's the question that we're going to be asking ourselves throughout the rest of this sermon as we dive deeper into the text. We're going to be asking ourselves the question, am I the type of leader that people would want to follow? Am I a Christ-like leader? And first of all, we're going to see that elders are called to the same sort of protective oversight and intimate care that Jesus has so lovingly demonstrated to us. Secondly, we see that the elders are to shepherd the church. Okay, so here's the exhortation. So again, he says, look at Jesus. I've been a witness to the type of leadership that Jesus demonstrated, this suffering and this glory. Jesus as the chief shepherd. And now he exhorts the elders. He says, 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay, the first thing that we need to recognize about this passage is that Peter is writing to a group of elders. The church is not to be a top-down leadership structure where they're sort of the CEO and all of his cronies. The church is to be led by a plurality of elders who are gifted in different ways, who complement one another, and who mutually hold one another accountable to be the type of leaders that Jesus has called us to be. Because we all know the stories of one leader taking charge in an unhealthy way and that leadership getting off balance and that leader looking far from somebody who is like Jesus. So the first thing we need to see is that the church is to be led by a plurality of leaders. The difference between Elders, leaders in the local church, is that each of them has been specifically gifted by God in a narrow way. In other words, no one elder has all of the gifts to lead the church. Jesus is the chief shepherd because he had all the gifts. But he handed the leadership of the local church off to groups of elders who would be leading alongside him. So he exhorts this group actually these groups who are leading different local churches, and he tells them to shepherd the flock that is among them. It has to be said, the job of local pastors and local elders is not to run a great organization. It is to shepherd and care for people. Our job as elders is to lay down our lives for the people of this local church. So here's the plan, guys. Jesus is the chief shepherd, and he has given a shepherding role within his church to sheep. He's placed sheep over sheep. That's the plan. All of us, no matter what our position is, is in the local church, at the end of the day, we're sheep. We're following after Jesus. We're seeking to do his will. We're repenting when we don't. And we're seeking to imitate Christ for one another so that we grow into maturity as a body of believers. So Peter outlines what this leadership ought to look like within the local church. He says that elders are to exercise oversight, and then he gives three different ways that they're supposed to do this. The first one he mentions is that they're to exercise oversight not under compulsion, but willingly. Now you think of of compulsion, that would be because of some external force. I think of either fear or guilt. So in other words, they think, I should be doing this, 
This is the right thing for me to do. God commands certain people to be elders. And so I am going to be an elder, not because I want to, but because I kind of feel like I have to. Say, no, I don't want elders exercising this oversight begrudgingly. Rather than exercising this oversight begrudgingly, I want people who will exercise oversight in the local church willingly. In other words, from the heart. One of the qualifications of an elder laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that that person would desire to be an elder. There has to be this desire to care for and shepherd God's people toward maturity. The second thing is that it would not be for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, elders are not to be seeking that position for money or for status in the church. We're not to be in these positions of authority so that people will look at us and praise us and say, wow, that's a really noble character. That's really awesome that they're doing that for Jesus. It's not for the approval of people, and it's not for money or for perks. But instead, people are to be in positions in the local church for the joy of seeing people come to Christ and mature in the Lord. It's eagerly. It's with joy. It's with a live, liveliness. It's with a bounce in our step. It's that we get excited when we see people in this context get baptized, get plugged into connection groups, become family members of the church, because we love to see people mature in Christ. And then thirdly, Peter says that elders are to exercise this oversight not with a heavy hand, not domineering, but being examples. In other words, not a distant pride. We as elders should be approachable to the people of Salt City Church. We should not be leading with distant pride. We should be leading with humble closeness. There should be a sort of proximity that our church has to the elders where you would be able to come to us as elders and you would be able to ask for spiritual guidance and direction and we would be eager and willing to give you that direction. Okay, so here's a couple questions that I have. Where does this type of motivation come from for an elder? And secondly, how does this practically work in our church? So let me explain the practical aspect of it first. Okay, right now, at Salt City Church, we have a plurality of elders. There are six of us. And the way that we think about shepherding our church is actually by first and foremost taking care of and shepherding our connection group leaders. So there are six elders and there are 22 connection groups. So we each have three and a half people that we're shepherding. And we meet with those people on a monthly basis to ask them about their life, their walk with Jesus, how their connection group is going, and any way that we can help them. We also want to be available through text, phone call, email, all of those types of things. 
So we have, in a sense, delegated them as being shepherds in our church as well. So we have also given them authority to lead and shepherd the people within their connection group. Additionally, we recognize that there are a lot of women who need to be shepherded in our church. And so we have formed a team of leading women in our church. So this group of leading women shepherds the women of Salt City Church under the direction of the elders. And in the same way that the elders meet with the men of our church as connection group leaders and shepherd them, the leading women meet with the female co-leaders of those connection groups and shepherd them on a monthly basis as well. So practically, that's the way that we exercise oversight in our church. Now, why would someone, in addition to their job and their responsibilities outside of the church, why would someone give so much time and attention to shepherding a growing local church? And Peter says it's because they have their sights set on heaven. He specifically says that when the chief shepherd appeared, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Isn't that what the human heart longs for? We long for an eternal reward. In other words, a reward for what we're doing on this earth that will last forever. And Peter says that by faithfully shepherding God's people, the elders in the local church will receive a reward that can never be taken away from them. So it's unfading. It's a crown. In in other words, it's a symbol, a designation of honor. And it's glorious. In other words, it's great. And it's beautiful. So the reason that we labor within the local church is because we want to receive this reward in heaven. And we want other people to be brought along with us. We don't have earthly gain on our minds if we're behaving biblically, but we have heavenly hope on our minds. Isn't this how people operate in the real world all the time? We were just talking as a staff looking, looking forward to the, the next Olympics and we started talking about swimming and we're talking about Caleb Dressel, this swimmer who could tie Michael Phelps' record of eight golds and then we ended up talking back to the 2008 Olympics. Do you guys remember this? When Michael Phelps won eight gold medals in one Olympics and then of course I jumped down the rabbit hole and start watching old YouTube videos this week And do you remember the race where the guy was beating him the whole race? I believe it was like the 100 fly. And then he he touched the wall like just before him and and won the gold medal. And, And you start looking at Michael Phelps' life and you realize that for years, literally all he did was get up at 6 a.m., swim for a few hours, lift weights, eat like 10,000 calories, swim for a few more hours, and then go to sleep and make sure he got plenty of rest for the next day. And he did that over and over and over and over again for like 20 years of his life. Why did he do that? For the glory. For the glory. Eight 
Olympic gold medals so that people would say he matters. His life is worth something so that he could be honored. And what Peter is saying is serving God's people within the local church in whatever capacity God calls you to serve in the local church is the greatest honor that could possibly be bestowed on you because you're not working for a fading gold medal, but you're working for an unfading crown of glory. Isn't that what we all want? We want to stand before the most important person in the universe, Jesus Christ, and we want him to say to us at the end of our life, well done, good and faithful servant. And I would ask you, what are you living for? What is the prize that you're aiming at? Is it money? Is it status? Is it some career? Think about how that life ends. Contrast that with the eternal crown of glory. And I would encourage you to begin to take steps to point your life in the direction of following after Jesus rather than after just these worldly desires. This is actually the call of every Christian, not just Christian leaders. Christian leaders are to set the example in the church, but every Christian is to called to live this type of life. Remember 1 Peter 1, verse 7. It says, These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, the unfading crown of glory is not just for leaders and elders in the local church. It's for everyone in the local church. And my encouragement to you is, no matter what you're going through, keep pressing on and following after Jesus because it is worth it to follow him for a lifetime. And it will be worth it for eternity. The passage continues and gets a little bit more specific with how the entire church is to behave in relationship to the elders and in relationship to one another. And it says that the church is to humbly follow the elders. Picking up the passage in, in verse 5, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So again, this passage starts with the word likewise. And so in other words, Peter has unpacked the way that Jesus leads his church. And he's saying, in the same way that Jesus leads his church with humility, elders are to lead the church with humility. And likewise, church members are to submit to the elders with humility. Here's what I think he means when he says likewise. He means that as church members, we are from the heart and joyfully and being examples for our fellow church members to follow after the leadership of the elders. Keeping this in mind, remember the plan. 
The chief shepherd has put sheep in charge of the sheep. Which means that we're trying, but as elders in this local church, we are far from perfect. Which means that for this thing to work properly, all of us are going to have to be humble. And Peter uses this imagery of putting on humility. And here's why I think he uses this imagery of putting on humility. It's because putting on clothes is something that we have to do every single day, unless you want to create some awkward moments. Does, does anyone else have reoccurring dreams where you like forget to put your pants on? I have this reoccurring dream where like I'm playing a sport and all of a sudden I look down and I just don't have any pants on. And it just, it's so embarrassing and it's, it's terrible because if you're going to play sports or you're going to go to work, it's recommended that you have clothes on to be successful in doing that. It's, it's a necessity if you don't want to get arrested to wear clothes in our society. And in a similar way, it is necessary in the local church to each and every day Put on humility. As love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love doesn't keep any record of wrongs. Love hopes all things. And it goes both ways. As leaders in the local church and as members of the local church, we all, each and every day, in order for this body to function properly, must clothe ourselves with humility. Now, what does it look like to clothe yourself with humility? I think that Romans 13 verse 14 gives us further understanding of this. It says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. To put on humility is synonymous with putting on the same attitude that Jesus had. And do you know what marked the ministry of Jesus? It's something so revolutionary that it's reverberated all the way to our day. It's that Jesus loved sinners. And so you know the way that you display Jesus within the context of the local church is not with incredible zeal, and passion, and being a standout Christian, the way that you demonstrate the love of Jesus in the local church is by being humble enough to acknowledge that you are the biggest sinner in the local church. The biggest problem is you. And when you recognize that, you get up each and every day and you ask Jesus to change you. You clothe yourself with this humility. You see yourself as being needy. You place yourself in a low position. You become a servant. You place others in a place of being more important than yourself. And guys, here's how, here's how I want to end this message. I don't want to end by saying... Go do this. Become a church like this. I really just want to end by saying thank you because I have been so humbled 
by the members of this local church. And I was just reflecting back in the last couple years, you know, we're coming up on our two-year anniversary as a church. And right after we formed our elder team, one of our elders was diagnosed with cancer. Another uh, one of our elders for the last uh, almost two years has been going through a very difficult adoption process that hasn't gone well at all. And you guys know that uh, my wife and I lost our sixth child, Jude, and I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And so there have been a lot of trials that our elder team specifically has been through. And I was just thinking, thinking back through that, and I've just been thinking, you know what? I would say overall that the members of our church have been characterized by incredible humility in following our leadership and in even having understanding of what we're going through and being sympathetic and kind and caring. And so I would say, man, this attitude of humility is really, I think, a mark of our church. And I'm really encouraged and excited to continue to have the opportunity to be on the team that is leading this church because it really has just been an incredible joy. And so I want to say uh, thank you to all you guys. Would you pray with me? Um, Father God, uh, Salt City Church is such a gift from you. And I just think about the sacrifices that people make and the humility that people have and the evidences of your grace. And we just, we kneel before the cross, God, and we recognize that we are sinners who have been called saints. And we're so humbled by that. And we want to be continue, continually marked by humility, God, as elders and our leadership and as members in, in humbly following and serving. Just ask that you would keep us from having agendas, that you would keep us from being proud, uh, and that instead we would simply just be freed up to follow after you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.